Greetings, adventurers. Today we're excited to introduce you to a new story, Dark Dice, a horror podcast that blurs the line between actual play and audio drama, where the story is determined by the roll of the dice. Six adventurers embark on a journey into the ruinous domain of the Nameless God. They will never be the same again. One of the players is not what they seem after a doppelganger, a creature that can assume the form and voice of whatever it kills, infiltrates the team. As the players are picked off and replaced one at a time, can they figure out who the monster is before it's too late? Can you? Here's a quick example of what our show sounds like. The, uh, shambler with the jar of liquid inside of him. Soren Arkwright let loose an arrow that cracked the glass, passing through the spine of the creature. The shambler still managed to maintain its forward momentum, but stumbled as it eagerly tried to bite and swipe at Soren, landing near his feet. As Jeff Goldblum has now joined our cast, Dark Dice is available however you listen to podcasts. Welcome, friend. Follow me. We're going somewhere dark, somewhere dangerous. Most people would never dare enter the place we are going. There's no telling what horrors we'll find, what terrors we'll uncover. Don't say I didn't warn you. We might discover terrible monsters lurking there. Be careful, they could follow you out. Or maybe they're already inside you. Are you afraid? Good. Now you are ready to enter the Warning Woods. My wife Brianna and I had a rare winter wedding back in 2018. Most people like to have weddings in the spring and summer when people can travel, don't have to get the kids out of school, and can dress up without worrying about coats and hats and gloves and all of that. So why did we choose to torture our friends and family so? Well, first of all, there aren't that many of them. We wanted to keep the wedding small, but honestly, there weren't many more people we could have invited anyway. And the small wedding, the winter setting, meant we had to spend less on the event and could be less prudent on the honeymoon. Neither of us have massive salaries or come from wealthy families, but together we managed to scrape together enough for a honeymoon in Mexico. It was going to be the perfect trip. Our home base would be the resort in Cancun, but we planned on exploring broadly from there. We aren't normally very adventurous due to the time constraints of our jobs and varying schedules. I'm a nurse and Brianna is a 911 dispatcher, so we salivated at the promise of a week with nothing to do but explore. The wedding went fine, nothing of note to report there. We got on the plane the same night and flew down for the honeymoon. Neither of us could sleep on the plane and the next day we were exhausted. We ended up sleeping in our room until late in the morning. Even then, we didn't have the energy to do much but sit around the pool the rest of the day. I'm sorry I should have anticipated this when I booked the flights, I apologized as I rubbed sunscreen on Brianna's back. She had her eyes on her phone and her lips around the salted rim of her margarita. Flying takes it out of me no matter what, she replied between sips. It's no big deal. I don't mind spending one day like this. What you looking at? I asked. The sun's glare was intruding on my view of her screen. Oh, she said, turning to face me before I had finished the area below her bikini strap. I found a brochure in the lobby that looked cool. It's this company that offers helicopter tours over the jungle. I'm on their website now. I instinctively looked across the resort into the dense trees and nodded. That would be cool, but it sounds like it would be pretty pricey. Is something like that in our budget? Brianna scolded me with a mock glare. She said, Harry, this is why we skipped the cake. Oh, I thought that was to spite your Aunt Sue, I said. 
Brianna pursed her lips, rolled her eyes, and turned back to her phone. She murmured, Well, Aunt Sue's lucky she was invited at all. I laughed. I scooched in next to Brianna on her reclining chair. She pretended to resist for a moment before scooting over dramatically. We laid back together so we could both see her phone. Beautiful photos of Jungle Canopy were smattered all over the webpage, and at the bottom, a big white button said, Book Now. It was an irresistible invitation. Brianna clicked the button and filled out a form. At the end, she received a price estimate. The helicopter tour wasn't nearly as expensive as I had expected. Still a lot of money, but within our budget, as long as we watched our margarita intake for the rest of the trip. What went on the rest of that afternoon and evening will stay between me and my wife, thank you. But the following morning, we got dressed and headed to the little airport for the tour. The buildings were under-maintained, to be polite. I'll admit the airport's condition made me nervous when we first arrived, but Brianna pointed out the window of our cab at a group of three helicopters bearing the tour company's name on their sides. They all gleamed under the sun, looking almost brand new. That settled my uneasy stomach. I felt even more relaxed after meeting our tour guide and pilot, Jim. Jim was an American who spent half the year down in Mexico, apparently giving helicopter tours. I don't have anything against the locals, it was just comforting to have someone in the pilot seat who spoke the same language as us. Jim also had a demeanor that spoke to some kind of military past. I wondered if he got his flying experience in the service, but didn't ask. He just seemed like the kind of guy you would want to have around if something went wrong. He would soon get the chance to prove my instincts right. During the flight, Jim spoke through the headsets. So, let me guess, honeymooners? Brianna and I simultaneously replied, Yep. And this is your first trip to Mexico? He asked. You're two for two, I said. Jim said, Well, between us, you two are doing it right. Most people just want to hang around the resort all day when they're here. They come all this way just to do something they could do at freaking Disney World. Most of them probably don't even know they're right next to a legit jungle. Can't see that in the States, can ya? Plus, how often do you get to see Mayan ruins? We'll see Mayan ruins? Brianna asked excitedly. Oh yeah, didn't you see the website? Jim asked. I did. I guess I just kind of thought the pictures on there were stock photos. Nah, kid, I took most of those myself. And along the same route we're going to fly today, too. Brianna looked at me with what may have been the biggest smile I've ever seen. I was probably smiling pretty big, too. I had always wanted to see ancient ruins, so to get surprised with them felt absolutely incredible. The whole trip will take about an hour, Jim said. We'll probably get above the ruins around 30 minutes in. We wouldn't make it 30 minutes. Well, I guess we would, but the chopper wouldn't. Despite its pristine appearance, the helicopter started giving Jim trouble about 20 minutes into the flight. Hey, you two are still strapped in, right? He called back to us without turning his head from the display panel in front of him. We told him we were. All right, just bear with me for a second. The chopper jostled us while we watched Jim's head shift from dial to dial. He flipped a couple of switches, only to flip them back again a moment later. I heard a strange sputtering sound coming from behind me. I glanced at Brianna, but I don't think she heard the noise. She was too busy looking through the windshield at something on the horizon. Harry, look, she said, pointing. The ruins. Up ahead, I could just see the very top of an enormous structure breaking out above the trees. The sight made me momentarily forget the strange noises and shaking. Jim brought me back to reality a moment later. Hey, I'm sorry, but I've got to get this thing back, he said. 
there's a mechanical issue I can't fix from here. His voice sounded steady, but he was sweating profusely. I looked out through the helicopter's open side at the canopy below us. It should have been beautiful, so lush and dense. But with the unspoken threat of crashing, the jungle canopy looked like a green amoeba waiting to absorb and consume us. Brianna's hand fell into mine and squeezed. Jim started rotating the chopper around to go back. The vehicle was tilted sideways, so I was practically hanging in my harness over the open door when something exploded. A rattling bang shook the entire chopper. Jim shouted, hang on, through gritted teeth, and we started to spin, nose first, down into the hungry jungle amoeba. The last thing I remember is reaching across myself to grab Brianna's wrist while she kept squeezing my other hand. The first thing I noticed when my consciousness returned was the smell. The odor of burning plastic and gasoline filled my sinuses and made my head ache. The second sensory input I acknowledged was the soft, wet ground beneath me, soaking into the back of my shirt. I must have been thrown from the helicopter. I tried to open my eyes, but the slightest sliver of light made my brain explode. I squeezed them shut again. I was able to feel both arms, and soon found my legs still attached as well. I started to brush my hands all over myself to make sure nothing was outside of me that should have been in. I breathed a little easier when my hands came back empty and dry. Brianna? I called out. No answer. Brianna? Jim? I cried, immediately feeling desperate. I correctly assumed the odor meant the chopper was on fire. With a sinking feeling, I wondered if I had been the only one thrown out before the vehicle went up in flames. The toxic smoke started burning my sinuses. With tears leaking from between my clenched eyelids, I shouted their names once more. Finally, I heard Brianna's voice shout my name back. I heard footsteps running toward me. I cracked one eye open just enough to see two silhouettes standing above me. We had all impossibly survived. Brianna and Jim each took one of my arms and hoisted me to my feet. Jim shouted something I couldn't understand. The change in position had knocked my equilibrium way off. Sounds seemed to be coming from every direction, and I couldn't pinpoint anyone or anything. I had to force my eyes open despite the stabbing sensation in my pupils. The visual input helped right my head a little, at least enough to help me follow the others away from the crash. Once we emerged from the cloud of smoke, Jim told me to sit. I need to look you over and make sure you came out okay, he said. When we saw you got tossed through the door, Brianna placed a tender hand on my shoulder, silently telling me she was glad I made it. I smiled up at her, returning the message. Jim gave me the once-over. He asked me to turn this way and that as he squeezed my limbs and digits to make sure I hadn't broken anything. One of my shoulders was very tender, and I had a pulsating pain towards the bottom of my ribcage. Jim didn't seem to think either of these injuries were too serious, though. We'll get you to a hospital when we get back. They'll probably need to x-ray that rib, but for now, if you can walk, that's all we need. He helped me to my feet, and for a minute we all just stood there stupidly. I don't think we had started to believe we had actually been through a helicopter crash yet. I spoke first, asking, So what happened up there? Why did we go down? I don't know why, but I didn't blame Jim for the crash, even for a second. He seemed so cool and capable while we were in flight. It was impossible to imagine he hadn't done everything he could to prevent the accident. 
Jim looked back towards the burning chopper and shook his head. I really wish I knew. Hopefully they can recover the flight computer and read the analytics. All my years flying helicopters and I have never seen a malfunction like that. Especially not in a newer bird like that one. What kind of malfunction? Brianna asked as if she would know if he told her. Well, to put it plainly, it's almost like the poor girl just gave up in midair. I was trying to kick her back into action, but none of my controls were working anymore. I couldn't take back manual control of any systems. Jim seemed like he was getting frustrated thinking about what happened before the crash, so I decided to direct him back to the present. I asked, So what now? Well, ordinarily I would radio for help, but my radio is probably a melted puddle of plastic by now. Someone will notice we didn't come back, and hopefully they'll send a search team out before too long. I bet that smoke will let them know where we are. Is it safe to just wait here? Brianna asked. Jim's eyes shifted to the trees as he pondered her question. Finally, he gave a cryptic answer. Safety is a relative term. What's that supposed to mean? I asked. It means if we stay here, we might not have to worry about wild animals and such, thanks to our burning bird back there, but our odds of getting rescued soon are slim to none. See, they'll be able to find where we went down due to the smoke, but they can't land another bird here. A team will have to hike in on foot, and since we can all walk, I'd just as soon get to somewhere they can reach us rather than sit around. I'll tell you what, we definitely don't still want to be here when it gets dark. Brianna slipped her hand into mine. I wondered if she too had noticed how quiet the jungle around us was. I didn't hear a single bird or chirping insect, sounds which seemed like they should have been all around us. I assumed Jim was right about the crash scaring away wildlife. Brianna asked, Where should we go then? I don't think I want to walk all the way back. Could we even make it before dark? Jim shook his head. No, definitely not. The jungle behind us is uneven terrain. The distance as the crow flies would be about the same, but we'd spend most of the day climbing up and down and probably getting soaked in the process. No, I think our best bet is to press forward to Kalak Mole. Is that a village or something? I asked. It's the ruin, right? Brianna asked Jim. He nodded. Yep, it's the big one we saw poking up through the trees. If we get there, we'll find people. If they can't help us, they'll at least have a radio or phone we can use to bring help to us. The terrain should be better, too. I mean, it's still the jungle, but we shouldn't need to be athletes to get there. I guess that's settled then, I said. Do we need to wait any longer, or is everyone good to go? One more thing, Jim said. He looked down at the ground like he was ashamed of what he was about to tell us. I've heard stories, just stories, mind you, about this part of the jungle. Keep in mind, there's a lot of history here. Ancient history. We should stick close together and keep an eye on each other, alright? I don't want anyone lagging behind or wandering off. Of course, Brianna replied, but the first thing she did once we started walking was to fall behind Jim and whisper to me, What the hell is he talking about? I shrugged. I kinda expected him to be a straight shooter, I said. I'm not sure what all these cryptic warnings are about. He's not telling us something, Brianna whispered. Your ears still haven't recovered from the crash. Jim called back to us. You're not being as quiet as you think you are. Brianna blushed and hurried forward until she was shoulder to shoulder with Jim. Okay, so what is it? What is what? What is it you aren't telling us? There will be time for stories when we get to Kyle Mall. For now, 
I'd really rather just walk. How do you know we're going the right way? I asked. The sun, Jim replied as if it were completely obvious. I could tell he was starting to wish he had crashed alone. The ruins should be due east. We might not run into them, but we'll at least find one of the service roads that'll take us there. Our conversation ceased for a while while we pressed forward through the jungle. Despite our dire situation, I couldn't help but enjoy myself a little. We had wanted some adventure, something different, and by God we had found it. The further we got from the crash site, the more I expected to start hearing wildlife noises, and the creepier the total silence felt. I wanted to ask Jim about the strange quiet, but opted to let him march on in peace. I think his energy had been depleted when the adrenaline wore off. Since he was Brianna and I's lifeline, I didn't want to wear him out any more than I had to. Oh, hey, Brianna suddenly shouted. She turned away and started waving both arms above her head frantically. I tried to follow her gaze through the trees, but I couldn't see whoever she was waving to. Jim spun around, forced her wrists back down to her sides, and shushed her. What? she demanded. I saw someone out there. Maybe they can help. They can't, Jim grunted, as if he had fully expected this to happen. He motioned for me to come in closer and put one of his hands on each of our shoulders. He hit the tender spot on mine, but I ignored the pain. Assume anyone you see, before we get to Kalak Mole, is not our friend. Don't shout, don't wave, don't try to interact at all. Got it? Who are they? Natives? I asked. With a shifty look over his shoulder, Jim said, Of sorts. Remember, stay close. With that, he started walking again. Brianna took my hand once more, and we didn't let go of each other for a while. I found myself wondering if our guide was armed in any way. He certainly didn't have any visible weapons, but I hoped he might have a pistol concealed under his shirt, or maybe a big knife in his boot like you see in movies. I didn't want to ask him, though. If he had seemed tense before... Now he threatened to snap. By nature, I wanted to think his stress was our fault, but something deep within me told another story. It was the jungle. Something about it had our steady-handed friend on high alert, and if there were hostile natives hiding among the trees, I could understand why. After another 20 minutes or so, I finally heard a sound like a large bird squawking in the trees. It didn't sound like any bird I had heard before. Its high-pitched cry echoed unnaturally in the dense jungle. Obviously curious, I turned around to see if I could spot the bird. Then my heart almost stopped. Behind us, where we had just walked a minute before, was a wall of trees. Dozens of trees were literally trunk to trunk, completely blocking the way back. The unnatural formation stretched in a line both ways beyond where I could see. Guys. I shouted. Brianna and Jim hadn't noticed me stop. They both turned back and Brianna gasped. Jim's face settled into a grimace. We gotta keep moving, he said. Wait, what the hell is that? I demanded. Jim ignored me. He turned his back to Brianna and I and took up a quicker pace than before. Jim, what the hell is really going on here? I shouted, unmoving. When he didn't respond, Brianna pulled me forward and I unwillingly followed. The terrain started trending downward, and soon we reached the edge of a 20-foot cliff. At the bottom was a stream bed filled with sparkling crystalline water. Across from us, water cascaded down shelves of eroded limestone. There were two of these waterfalls with the jagged mouth of a small cave between them. 
If I hadn't still been reeling from the inexplicable wall of trees, I'm sure I would have wanted to stay right there to gawk at the beautiful pool and listen to the calming sounds of the water on the rocks. Jim wasted no time leading us around the edge of the cliff, though. I continually looked over my shoulder to see if the jungle had condensed behind us again and was thankful every time I saw it hadn't. But one particular glance behind me showed something else. We had just reached the top of one of the limestone waterfalls when I turned around and saw a dark figure peeking out from behind a mossy tree. I believed it was a man painted black from head to toe. I wasn't sure if he was wearing contact lenses or using some kind of natural dye, but somehow he had managed to make his eyes black too, from the pupils all the way to his eyelids. Before I could react at all to the man behind us, a strong hand grabbed my collar and pulled me down. Jim didn't let go as all three of us slid down the limestone, getting soaked and bruised as we fell. We landed with staggered splashes in the shallow pool, and Jim hoisted Brianna and I to our feet. He put a finger to his lips and gestured for us to follow him as he ran into the cave. We had to squeeze between stalagmites that reminded me of teeth and duck under their stalactite twins to get inside. The temperature dropped severely inside the cave, even though it was only 20 feet deep at the most. The chilly air swirling around my soaked clothes made me shiver uncontrollably. Make yourselves low and small, Jim ordered. Brianna and I hunkered down next to each other halfway behind a lumpy limestone boulder. The stone felt damp and even colder than the air. Jim, do you want to tell us what's going on now or what? I asked, frustrated. Brianna and I were both adapted to dealing with high levels of stress, literal life and death stuff, every day in our jobs, but we were reaching the end of our nerves. Jim slid down a fat stalagmite and came to rest facing us on the cave floor. I've heard rumors about this jungle, this area in particular, ever since I started flying down here. I always thought they were just that, though, rumors. They're the kind of stories you might tell to spook kids around a campfire. Now I'm wondering if there ain't just a smidge of truth to them. Care to share any of them with us? Brianna asked impatiently. Jim grimaced and nodded. Some people, native and otherwise, have claimed the jungle is alive. They say it has a mind of its own and acts in unnatural ways. I'd guess all those trees coming together back there is a good example of what they were talking about. Others will tell you the jungle itself isn't conscious, but is being controlled by something with dark origins. Either an ancient curse or some sort of ongoing witchcraft. I'm sure you can guess how all the ancient ruins around here can influence those kinds of ideas. Before you grabbed me, did you see the man with black eyes? I asked. Jim narrowed his eyes at me. I saw a woman, he said. So did I, Brianna added. Her hair, skin, and eyes were all dyed pitch black. You sure you saw a man? Jim asked me. He was bald, I said, staring into Brianna's wide eyes. Jim looked away and said, The only upside I see right now is that those rumors escaped this jungle somehow. To me, that means some folks have lived to tell the tales. If we keep our eyes forward and just keep moving, we'll make it to Kalak Mole. That place has tourists visiting all the time. If there's a curse, it's gotta end there. Despite Jim's hopeful plan, I couldn't help but get snagged on the phrase, some folks. Realistically, only one person would have had to escape to kick off the rumors. Just one. And there were three of us.
How many had entered the jungle either on purpose or by accident and not made it out? I'd offer to go see if the coast is clear, but I really don't think we should split up. Not even for a minute, Jim said. I couldn't help but agree. I stood and helped Brianna to her feet. Look, nothing's tried to hurt us yet, I said, trying to offer some comfort. Maybe this curse, or whatever, is just designed to scare people like us away. Well, it's sure working on me, Brianna mumbled. We crept out of the cave and examined the rocks above for signs of hostility. We didn't see or hear anything up there, so following Jim's lead, we slowly scaled the slippery limestone. Well, that's strange, Jim uttered to himself when we reached the top of the waterfall. He was looking up and scratching his head. What is it? I asked. Well, I could have sworn the sun was directly behind us when we found this pool, but look, it's up ahead now. It's like it's going the wrong direction. But that's impossible unless the earth started turning the opposite direction. Maybe we should stop trusting the world to behave how it normally would. Maybe we should just keep walking that way and ignore everything else, Brianna said, pointing into the jungle beyond the waterfalls. That's a terrible idea, Jim said. But a moment later, he sighed. I can't come up with anything better. Come on, let's keep moving. It took everything in me not to constantly look back over my shoulder. We couldn't afford any more delays. Even though the sun was seemingly behaving outside of known physics, I knew night would come eventually. Under zero circumstances did I want to be in the jungle when it got dark. Not when those painted figures could creep up on us from anywhere. Without the sun to guide us, it was impossible to know if we were still walking towards Kalak Mole, or if we had veered off course. Even just a few degrees to the left or right would have sent us miles past the ruins and any hope of being found. I suddenly wished we had stayed with the burning helicopter and just let help come to us. The crash site now seemed like a much safer place to be. The sun began to veer off to the left, whatever direction that was, and Brianna and Jim argued with each other about what to do. Jim had naturally begun to use the sun again, calculating our direction against the new path it was following, and Brianna was adamant that we needed to ignore the sun entirely. She thought it was a trick. I happened to agree with both of them. We were clearly being manipulated somehow, but also, we needed some sort of direction to follow. Otherwise, we were just wandering through the vast jungle aimlessly. Their argument was cut short when Brianna's gaze shifted over Jim's shoulder, and she gasped. What is that? She asked quietly. She pointed at something behind Jim. I saw it too. Something bright red was laying on the ground, mostly covered by wide leaves drooping over it. Silently, we all moved towards the object. A smell rose through the humid air, a stomach-churning odor that gave me a pretty good idea what we were about to find. Jim pulled one of the large leaves away, and Brianna retched as he revealed the decaying corpse of a human being propped up against a large backpack. The unfortunate person had been wearing a red vest and blue jeans. If they'd had a shirt on under the vest, it had rotted away. The person's skull was looking up at us with wide, empty sockets, and the jaw hanging open like it wanted to tell us something urgent but couldn't find the words. Brianna stumbled back, muttering, Oh my god, oh my god. Jim pulled his shirt over his nose and leaned in. He was a man, I think, based on the clothes, Jim said. 
To my horror, he reached over the corpse's shoulder and took hold of the backpack it was propped against. Slowly, he pulled the backpack toward himself, forcing the corpse to turn face down. Dry bones crackled as they were shifted for the first time in who knows how long. Patches of moss that had grown up around the dead man's limbs were torn in half. The earth beneath the corpse was muddy and brown. Various tiny creatures who had probably been feasting on his rot scattered as the man was lifted away. Jim laid him face down and opened the backpack. This guy looks like he hiked in, Jim explained. He probably has some useful stuff in here. We went through the pack, removing two bottled waters, the melted remains of a protein bar, socks, a hefty flashlight, a buck knife, and a compass. The water bottles were still sealed, so despite their probable age, Jim and I opened them up and chugged. I stopped myself from drinking the whole bottle so I could share with Brianna. I turned around to give it to her, but she wasn't there. Bree? I called out. Brianna? Jim swore. He got to his feet and started looking around with me. Both of us called her name repeatedly, but Brianna didn't respond. I tried to run, but Jim grabbed me. Under no circumstances do we split up. Got it? We'll find her, but we've got to do it together. We set off in the direction we had come, knowing Brianna had been right behind us a few moments before. She couldn't have gotten too far. Plus, she had been wearing a bright pink shirt, so I knew she would be easy to see. And, thankfully, she was. It took us less than a minute to spot her up ahead between two trees. She had her back to us and continued to walk further away. Brianna, where are you going? I shouted. She didn't answer. She didn't react to my voice at all, just continued walking straight ahead. I looked at Jim and he shrugged. We jogged up to her. When we passed through the two trees we had spotted her between, we saw him. The bald man, painted black, was maybe 50 feet ahead of us. He was pointing at Brianna with one hand and gesturing for her to come closer with the other. She was exactly halfway between us and him. I charged towards my wife, ignoring Jim's shouts. I didn't know what that painted man wanted with her, but he wasn't going to get it. He didn't seem to pay me any mind as I ran forward. His black marble eyes were trained on my wife, and his face remained expressionless. His cold confidence terrified me. It seemed like he didn't care what we did. Like he knew, no matter what, he was going to win in the end. I caught Brianna well before she was within the man's reach and grabbed her arm. The second we touched, the jungle went dark. Night settled in in an instant, as if the sun had just fallen from the sky. Brianna went limp in my arms and we fell onto the lush ground. I screamed for Jim and was grateful to hear him answer. Don't move, he commanded. I couldn't have moved if I wanted to. Not only was I frozen with fear, suddenly unable to see the painted man who had been only a few yards away, but the night air was even colder than the cave had been. I immediately started shivering so hard my teeth chattered. A few seconds later, a beam of light cut through the darkness. Jim ran to us with the hiker's flashlight in hand. Glad we found this, he said with a trembling voice. He was also shivering. He shone the light around us in a circle. There was no sign of the painted man in any direction. Brianna stirred, and I helped her up. What's going on? she asked. I wish I could tell you, I said. You were in some kind of trance. I grabbed you and it just got dark all of a sudden. Jim crouched beside us and stuck out a shaking hand. He held the compass in his palm. I don't know if we can trust this, but it's our only hope at this point, he said. 
He rotated it a few times, and the needle held true. I can't be sure if it's actually pointing north, but if we follow it, at least we'll be heading in a consistent direction. I say we keep heading east. Kalak Mole is still our best chance of getting out of here. Do you think anyone will still be there at night? I asked. I don't think it's actually night. I think this is another trick, Jim said. I wasn't sure if I agreed, but it didn't matter. We started heading east, according to the compass. Jim kept the flashlight trained ahead with only the occasional glance to the sides. We never looked behind us. After what seemed like an hour of walking, we were finally given some hope. We all heard the chugging sound of a truck's engine being started. Come on, Jim shouted, and he started running. Not wanting to lose our guide and our only light source, Brianna and I chased after him. I almost tripped multiple times and I saw Brianna stumble once or twice beside me. Jim was getting away from us. I was about to yell at him to slow down when the glowing flashlight came to a sudden stop. There was another wall of trees. This time, it was in front of us, blocking the way forward. We could hear more sounds of human activity beyond the trees. We all started shouting for help, but I think all three of us knew how unlikely it was anyone could hear us. Jim shone the flashlight along the wall, hoping it ended somewhere, but it continued as far as we could see. Then, on the edge of the beam's glow, we saw a black figure. The woman Jim and Brianna had seen earlier was standing off to our left. Her eyes were as black as the man's. Frantically, Jim flicked the light over to our right side, revealing the painted man over there. We were trapped. The only escape was to go back the way we had come. None of us were willing to do that. Not when we were so close. Well, come on then, Jim screamed. He shone the single light back and forth at each of the figures. They stood like statues and watched us patiently with toothy, uneven grins. Come on, whatever you're going to do, just do it. He had the flashlight trained on the woman when she broke into a sprint directly at us. I heard the man's footsteps running toward us too. Jim unsheathed the knife we had found in the hiker's backpack and took up a fighting stance. I pulled Brianna behind myself so she was between Jim and I and raised my fists. They did me no good. The painted man reached through the darkness and grabbed both of my wrists so hard they threatened to snap. He tried to pull me away from Brianna, but she wrapped her arms around me and fought helplessly against him. While the black-eyed man and my wife played tug-of-war with me, Jim grappled with the woman. She had lunged at him and knocked him to the ground. He howled like a wild animal while she grabbed at his face. She got one thumb in an eye socket, and Jim howled even louder. With a fierce cry, he plunged the knife into her side, just below her arm. She unleashed a demonic scream and vanished. She simply disappeared as if she were never there. And maybe she never really was. Brianna shouted, Give it to me! And Jim tossed the knife. It landed at Brianna's feet, and she had to let go of me in order to pick it up. I continued to struggle against the painted man's grip, but he managed to pull me away from the others little by little. But then, with a heroic leap, Brianna brought the knife down into his shoulder, and the man vanished, just like the woman had. Daylight immediately returned, and the wall of trees became ordinary jungle again. Once we all caught our breath, we looked between the trees. One after another, we started to laugh. Up ahead, maybe 300 feet away, was an enormous limestone structure with a gigantic staircase in the middle. People were standing all around it. Normal people, in modern clothes. We had reached Kalak Mole. 
I don't think we'll ever know exactly what went on in that jungle. When Brianna and I have told the story to our few close friends, they've invariably told us we must have had our heads rocked in the crash or accidentally come into contact with some sort of hallucinogenic plants. None of that explains how all three of us saw the same things, though, or how I ended up with deep bruises on my wrists. Despite what anyone says, what happened that day was real, and we won't be returning to see the ruins anytime soon. We did stay in Mexico for the duration of our honeymoon, though. I was glad we picked a nice resort, because that's where we stayed for the rest of the week. And we had a good time. We had great food, great drinks, and great... well, you know. But really, I had no idea how happy we could be just to be alive. You made it out. Congratulations. If you enjoyed the story, please rate and review this podcast wherever you like to listen. Reviews are the best way to support the podcast and help it grow. You can also become a patron at patreon.com slash thewarningwoods. If you want more creepy content, including the images that accompany each story, follow me on Instagram at thewarningwoods. If you feel ready, meet me here next week for another journey into the warning woods. Thank you for listening. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts.